Hello, my dear brothers. Hello, dear listener. Welcome back to the Forest Brothers Podcast. Best podcast in the whole wide world. You know the vibes. You know the vibes. It's your boy, Mutsa Kriston, joined again by my two brothers, Ngome, Samson, Penguini, the chemist. I wear their gentlemen. Let me start with that boy, Sangi, and then on to the boy, Mangoro. How's about you? Say hello to the very wonderful listeners and watchers out there. Uh, over to you, Mr. Samson. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Forest Brothers podcast. Once again, I'm here with my two brothers, Mutsa Mangora. Great to see you guys. Great to be here with you guys. Um, a lot to discuss today. Um, PGMOL, we are we are on your head today. So yeah, let's uh, let's get into it, gents. Uh, beautiful listeners, uh, I'd like to say hello to you all out there listening to the Great Forest Brothers podcast. The place where we drop the reality and we do the three e's i'm not going to mention them anymore i think i think our listeners know all about them even our friends over at monaco um so i'd like to also greet my two brothers here mr mori um mr msanga there and yeah the first brothers podcast is all about just telling the reality you know and today we're back dropping more reality dropping more bars uh more bold predictions there could be a bold prediction uh, at the end of the at the end of the episode or in the middle of the episode so ensure that you you tune in listener for the entire episode you know you know what mangoro as you know our listener base is ever growing with each passing day how's about to just educate them one more time so what are those three e's mangoro tell the tell the people out there so give it to them uh the three e's you know it's a it's a it's a, it's a simple concept you know it's all about three e's e E to the power of three, basically. Number one is, I actually forgot them, but. You can never forget what you created. So oh number one, God. the most important one is education. We're here to educate. This is an educational platform where we educate our listeners, be it football, be it life issues, be it outside things that we've discussed. Uh, we had an OPT episode for all those students thinking of OPT. Uh, I re- recently came across some interesting information that uh, I don't know if a lot of people know, but we may, may do an episode around it, maybe a visa episode if you're interested in that one. Um, so back to the, the, the three E's, education. Number two, entertain, you know entertain because imagine we come to the first brothers podcast and we're just talking we're not interested and it's just boring it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same it would not be the same then the third one that i probably i probably love it the most is probably enlightenment so we enlighten uh, our listeners out there we drop the reality we drop stuff that's going to happen in three four weeks to in earlier before anyone even sees it happen so uh, our listeners, they're fully prepared for things that happened. And yeah, that's the three E's. Very simple. Never forget them. Yeah, just keep them there in your back pocket. Yeah, you know, so listeners, you heard the three E's. Educate, entertain, and enlighten. Anyways, boys, let's get into the meat of this episode today. Let's start with the biggest story of the weekend. Liverpool versus Arsenal. Today was... A mega, a mega clash, as I might say, between two sides that have always had an explosive match. And today, 
it ended the score ended 2-2, but we all know very much that that score line could have been way bigger. In another world, it could have actually been smaller. It could have been it could have ended 2-0 today. Um, but anyway, 2-2, what a good game. I have to say one of the best games I have seen all season. Everything was there, like two different halves, but very exciting all the way through. We had a missed penalty. We had okay, we didn't get a, we didn't have a red card, but we definitely had like yellow cards, you know, we had good attacking, good goals, referee decisions that don't make any sense at all. What yeah, it was just it was just a crazy half. And then this game has a lot of weight in terms of the title race as well. So we're gonna be getting into that. But yeah, you know, let's let me actually start with my brother Samson here because he is our Arsenal fan and I know he was watching that game stressed. That first half, I know he, I know he thought, you know what, we're breezing through this game. You know, we'll, as we're all watching the game, we could see that Martinelli is literally about to destroy Trent today. Like that's, I don't know why Klopp, I don't know whatever for whatever reason, but he wanted to use Trent today as an inverted fullback. He has not done that all season, and to try that today against Arsenal the best attack in the league right now. Well, second, I think maybe Man City is the best attack, but um, anyway, let's just say one of the best attackers, attacking teams in the Premier League today. And you try out your one of your worst players this season as an inverted fullback. I had no idea what Klopp was cooking, but he was going to suffer for that. And Martinelli was going to run the man ragged. And uh, on the other side, we had Saka, also killing Mr. Robertson on the other flank. Like today, today, honestly, Klopp, the way he set up his team, they were supposed to get, they were supposed to eat 5-0 today. That's the honest truth. Given how the first 35 minutes went, Arsenal was supposed to kill that game off 3-0, 4-0 in the first half. But there is a special man on the Arsenal squad that I love very much because I can always count on him to Stop Arsenal progression. An enemy of progress. The archangel that at the Emirates, Mr. Granite Xhaka. Ah! Anytime I see him on the lineup, I just know. I just know. He, he, he might just throw it away for us. <laughs> he's going to get a red card. He's going to make a tackles. Ah! Man, the way I love Granite, bless his soul, man. I hope he never leaves Arsenal because I love what he does. I love, I love exactly what it does. Anyways, listener, so Granite actually, maybe Samson, you can agree or disagree with this, but I think the moment the game changes is when Granite tackles or he gets into a little tiff with Trent. Both of them catch a yellow card, but man, after that, that Liverpool fan base went crazy. And after that moment, Liverpool got back into it. They scored a goal like a few minutes after that. And it was Liverpool all the way through. Like if Granite hadn't done that, I see that game as done. Like that game was going to finish 2-0 at halftime. Second half, I think at most, it was probably going to finish 3-0, maybe even 3-1. But that was it. But that's not the way it went. So anyway, Samson, do you agree with that assessment that the game changed as soon as Granit Xhaka and Trent got into that little fight and both of them got yellow cards and then Anfield actually like erupted and got into the game and like... You know what that's you know what they say? Those Anfield fans are like an extra player whenever Liverpool play at home. So was it 
that moment that changed everything today? Go ahead, Simpson. Um, I think you could definitely look at it that way. Um, it definitely seemed like it, it lifted Liverpool, uh, that little incident. Although I will also say that, because I don't want to put all the blame on on, on Xhaka, because um, he plays with passion and he gets into everyone's faces every game he plays. This wasn't anything new. And I wouldn't say like it backfired and he cost us the game. But I do think the team as a whole just lost control of the game. And Arteta even spoke about this in the post-match press conference. He said, um, after the first goal, or before the first goal, we were very in control of the game in terms of in possession, we were holding the ball and we were picking our moments in terms of when we want to attack, when we want to go forward. After Liverpool scored that first goal, it became a transition game. So your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. Um, and it was just counterattacks from then on. Um, and that's the exact game Liverpool want to play. You know, they live off the counter. You know, they do not break anyone down. That's never been them. So I think once that happened and we never really... I think a goal would have settled things down and we had opportunities to score. Like, I don't think we were just out of it for 45 minutes in the second half, but we we weren't... There was a lot more nervousness about our play. And I think, yeah the that incident with Trent did inspire the fans to create that environment um and we did not respond in the in the best way to that we did not we did not because I think I really do feel if we added a goal things would have calmed down again and it would have been a much easier game to control but we just couldn't find that goal that third goal so yeah definitely turned the game right there yeah no I I, I certainly loved seeing because I I as someone who does not want to see Arsenal lift the title this season, we needed something. We needed something. But like I, like I was saying to you boys today, man, I don't know what Sangoma or what Wish Doctor that boy Arteta is using, but he needs to hook me up because that second half, hey, man, Arsenal are not supposed to win this game. I don't know how Salah does that. You know, you win the penalty, make the game 2-2, and then like – then there's those, even before that, there were so many other incidences where Salah was one-on-one, missed it. Nunes, one-on-one, missed it. Again, Nunes in a position. I mean, Ramsdale had a great game today. I think Ramsdale deserves, Ramsdale, like, Ramsdale and De Gea, those two guys, like, they really hold their teams on their backs because the amount of games De Gea said for Man United, like, uncountable. And I think you y'all have that in Ramsdale now. Like Ramsdale, you can always count on him to like if things are about to get hot, I think Ramsdale usually like stands up to it. So y'all y'all made a good purchase with that man because if that was Leno or if that was Fabianski or any of these other keepers you all have had in the past, yeah, they're gonna fold. They were gonna fold. And yeah, it looks like Ramsdale doesn't fold. And um I'm sure Mangoro can see that since he is part of the goalkeepers union. I'm sure he was very impressed today with the man Ramsdale. And um, so I don't know what it comes down to. Uh, Mangoro, do you think that the game ended 2-2 either because Liverpool were very poor on attack, they couldn't finish the game off, or was it because Ramsdale is just world-class and no, even if it was any other player, like any other team, it probably would have ended this way. Like, is it... Did this end two two in Arsenal's favor because of Ramsdale or because Liverpool was just so poor in the in the kitchen? 
I would see the argument for both sides, but for me personally, uh, I would agree with that. I think Ramsdale had a stellar game today. I think there was a save he pulled. I think it was 2-2 to Dinamo Salah. Because keep in mind, as someone who, who knows and understands the goalkeeper's union, to save a shot in like in a, in a high-pressure moment in front of the cop, well, from the great Mosada, as Liverpool fans like to call him, um, that shot actually took a deflection of Gabriel, and he still managed to get a fingertip to it. And all the other saves that he had been making throughout the game, that actually goes to show that uh, that was actually quite an important one. And for him to actually bring his team to where they are today, uh, potentially in a title race now, um, it's actually quite impressive, you know, because this is a man that when he signed, I think whenever he was signed, I think, was it last year or the year before, a lot of people were not convinced by his signing. They were like, why would we pick up a relega- the relegation goalkeeper specialist? And now look at him at the top of the league. He's leading Arsenal, a very young Arsenal side to potentially a title. And it's actually amazing. So I think it's it's been impressive on his part. The other thing I do want to mention, um, but uh, not, not not paying a bad bat on, on Ramsdale, but Liverpool, my goodness, that finishing is actually quite atrocious. I don't know what Darwin Nunes does on the soccer tra- the training because some of the shots, even in the first half, like some of the shots they were taking, they they, 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 they were more dangerous to the corner flag than they were to the goal from the shots. I think Robertson took a shot. Salah probably took a hundred shots. Uh, I don't even know some of them just all over the place. Darwin, I don't know. I don't know. Jota, I didn't think Jota took a shot, but for the most part, like, yeah, I think it was mainly Ramsdale, but Liverpool also did have some very, very questionable shooting today. No, for, for, for real. And gents, let's, let's actually pay, let's give a little attention to that Liverpool defense. There's one man in particular. We've talked about him before. This is Virgil van Dijk. That first goal, is it the first or the second goal? Oh, the first goal that Arsenal scored today. When Saka gets the ball in the wing, he mises uh, Robertson. Robertson is nowhere to be found, you know. And they he passes, tries to pass the ball to Martinelli. Or is it Odegaard? I can't remember what the sequence was. And somehow Van Dijk has the ball in his feet. He passes the ball across right into Martinelli's feet. Martinelli scores the goal. So... Van Dijk, to me, had one of the poorest games I've seen. Like, even when they were putting pressure in the second half. He was, you know, I think that protected him because there wasn't a lot more pressure on Van Dijk anymore. But I think that's like, that even feeds into our argument, right? That Van Dijk has looked as good as he's looked in the last few years just because there's not been a lot of pressure on the Liverpool defense. Just because they're always attacking, always crossing the ball. You know, he's not really needed to do anything today in that first half especially my man was dealing with Martinelli and Saka and Odegaard and he could not cope I have not seen a defense I don't know why as a defender you get you have the ball in your feet and you pass it to an attacker on the opposite team and you know he's going the, the direction of the kitchen that's that's a that's a Southampton mistake that's not a Liverpool mistake to make and given Van Dijk's uh level of talent I'll think he will do better. But anyway, and you know, and this is just in reference to a previous episode we did about who's better between Tyron Mings and Virgil van Dijk. Like, I think this is also just feeding into the argument that Tyron Mings right now is way better than Van Dijk is. 
Like, I would take Tyrone over Van Dyke. And I know you guys have clowned me. I know people have clowned me about saying this, but I've been saying this for a while now. Tyrone is not great, but I certainly would take him over Van Dyke. Anyway, um, let me actually talk to Samson a little bit about this because I know, Samson, you have your feelings about Virgil. So what did you take about his performance, especially in that first half? Well, it was terrible. Um, and uh, Van Dyke, I think I've said this uh I mean, we didn't have a part in 2018, but I remember during that magical Champions League run they had, um, I was telling uh, all my Liverpool fans that this guy, all he does is backtrack. That's that's the only like that's the only defending he does. He backtracks and he waits for his his centre back or Fabinho to go for the ball, try go for a tackle, and then he sweeps up. That's all he does. To me, you can't be the best defender in the world if all you do is sweep up. Like, that's not best defender in the world material. Like, that doesn't tell me, like, when I watched Van Dyke and I, when I watch him, even at his best, all I see from him is strength and speed and aerial dominance. I give him that. He's, he's great dealing with long balls coming in. He's great at dealing with, like, like physical strikers. He can handle himself well. And he's great at chasing down wingers when I'm through balls are made. He's great at all that. But defending, can you make tackles? Can you mark your man appropriately um, as you're being pressured, as the other team has possession? I don't think he does that at the highest level. And I think he relies way too much on whoever's playing next to him. And I think this is why you've seen throughout his local career, there's always been, um, he's always been paired with a more aggressive defender. Uh, he's rarely been the guy who goes into a challenge first. He's always the guy who sweeps up. And he's only as good as his uh, his partner. Um, and I think you're seeing something similar with Varane and Manchester United. I think people are starting to see that maybe he was only as good as Sergio Ramos was good at Real Madrid. You know, not saying he doesn't have talent, but, you know, clearly Casemiro and Ramos next to him helped him a lot and maybe van dyke needs a similar um setup in order to thrive um but yeah he was not great uh and no and it wasn't just him you know that entire back four was not great only allison really is the only one who's only who showed up for liverpool this season consistently and i've also been saying this about konate i think konate fools a lot of people because how this guy just walks into the French team. And I'll give him, he had a few, I think he had a, there's a game Varane missed in the, the the World Cup. He had a fantastic game. So dominant. So aggressive in the tackle. Wins everything. Cleans up everything. Looked great. But the very next game, Howler. Like, this guy cannot be trusted either. And I think if Liverpool want to get back to the top, a good strategy, like I've been saying, is play a back three or do or change your system so that you're not uh you know exposed to so many counterattacks each game because these guys are not suited to playing this kind of football you cannot rely on either of these guys either of those guys in the back four to just you know handle a counterattack and clean out the 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 attacker in that first that that first challenge they go into because most of the time they will get skinned and it will be a 2v1, a 3v2, like we saw today. So many times 
we saw Konate up the pitch fighting for his life and Van Dyke with Robertson or um, Trent either side of him scrambling to get back. And there's just a gap there in the middle. Like that, that is, that is a group of defenders who are not suited to playing this way. And if uh, we were, if Arsenal were more clinical, I think this game would have been done within that first 40 minutes. Um, and yeah, Liverpool really do, at least Klopp, uh, and again, I blame Klopp because, again, he can change things. We've seen coaches change systems all the time, change personnel. You can play a back three anytime. Ateta did it today. Ateta put on a centre-back when we were being peppered with crosses and shots and whatever to relieve pressure. You can do that anytime. Like, it's it's an option, right? Like, these players, it's not like the players don't know how to play in a back three. Like, they they can figure it out. They're like they're they're experienced enough, smart enough, but the guy just doesn't do it. He keeps putting his players in the positions they're least likely to succeed in. Um, and I think, yes, those brothers are terrible, but that coach is also not helping them out. Um, and I think that's a big problem in Liverpool's season going the way it has this year. Yeah, and just to add on to that real quick that i don't know if a lot of people actually saw this they probably did and didn't think much of it yeah he was vvd was pretty flustered today i think i remember he even took a yellow card there he just kicked jesus there on the left hand side there where trent who was supposed to be marking him but i think we've spoken at length about that certain individual that i think we'll, we'll, we'll leave him for today but yeah virgil today didn't look like himself or like this entire season maybe the injury uh is still affecting him but Honestly, like some of the things he was doing there at the back, like uh, there were there were Bali vibes there at the back because he just he just looked shaky, and that's why maybe Samson just to add on to your point there on like him sweeping up, maybe that's why he sweeps up because if he were to go into a, one of some of these tackles that Konata was going in, just cleaning out Arsenal players, maybe he'd become he'd be exposed because someone would play around the corner and literally be out of the game like Trent usually does during the game where he pretty much just goes into a tackle they play one two and he's pretty much lost and he's jogging walking back not even jogging he's walking back so maybe that's why he sits back uh and he doesn't wanna like t- like go in for that first tackle and be like the stopper the other thing on the, this back three and looking at Liverpool the team does suit a back three but I think Klopp's insistence on like trying to have his system where he doesn't want to lose three midfielders and three attackers, it, it would really compromise him because he'd have to sacrifice one of those players, either play a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3. And Hendo and probably like a Fabinho against the three-man midfield would be run ragged against any other good team. And that just wouldn't work. And, a, and a, maybe a 3-5-2 would... Imagine a three a front two of Salah and Nunes. That just sounds atrocious. Like that just doesn't sound potent. It would just be chaos. And he likes his wingers. That's why he's always buying wingers. Like he technically bought uh well actually Luis Diaz and Cody Gakpo are technically left wingers, both of them. And Jota's sort of like a not he's a kind of a forward, not really a striker. Same thing for Firmino, Salah's a right winger. So it'll be interesting to see, but this back three would be, I, I would kill to watch it, but I have no faith that the personnel they currently have would suit a back three. 
Yeah, just just to add on to that, Mangoro, like it just made me realize as well, like one of the biggest things that stood out to me today is just the lack of creativity in that Liverpool squad. Like they were holding on to possession in the second half, but my God, that wasn't that those plays were not going anywhere. Like sometimes, like Fabinho would have the ball and just looking. And it's like, okay, what next? We just pass the ball to Trent, Trent to whip in across and hope and hope to God that like Salah is somewhere in there. Someone in someone's in the kitchen waiting to take it on, you know? Or I don't know. And then he brought on Tiago. Like actually today I was surprised. Tiago played relatively well in the second half. Like he was actually a little bit of that creativity that they needed. But before they brought on Tiago, oh my goodness, man. Like they would hold on to the ball, switch it to the left, switch it to the right, checking across and hope for the best. Like hold on to the ball, pass it amongst each other. And but you could really tell like this was not going anywhere. Whereas with Arsenal, there were so many moments, even in that second half, where you saw Martinelli or like you saw as soon as the ball was in Odegaard's feet, right? As soon as it was in his feet, something could happen. A pass outward to Martinelli or a, a diagonal, whatever, you know, and then you know Martinelli's in space and he can cross it to like Saka, you know, when, when Jesus, like there was just a lot more like fluidity in that in that attack so i was very surprised at the lack of creativity today and if i'm club like we've been talking about this whole season find yourself a creative midfielder who can last the season or at least three quarters of the season like i know injuries happen but hey you know like find someone in that kit in that middle park who can because hendo hendo is not that person hendo is not that person to do that for you <laughs> so i just i just want to point that out to like i noticed that you know, and just one other point, Samson, you're talking about VVD and like his aerial strength. Today he got beaten by Gabriel Jesus in the air. And Jesus is like half his size in height. Like Jesus is a small man, guys. Like, <laughs> like I know today is Easter, and if Jesus was to rise, it'll take a while before you see him rise. Cause like he's 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 rising from the bottom. It's not. It's, it's gonna take a while for us to see him up in the air. Like that's how short that man is. Okay, he's a, he's a little Brazilian. That's that's what he is. So I have no idea how a ball gets crossed in the kitchen. And Van Dyke is a massive man. Van Dyke is like what, like six five? I have no, like something six three. I don't know how tall he is. Like like six four. Like six four. Like that's a tall man. Yeah. And Jesus is like five one. So I'm just saying No, no way, no way. I cannot let this slide. <laughs> no way I'm letting hey, this slide. That man is like five one, five two at best, you know. It's egregious, man. <laughs> anyway, point being, how does it how does it work that Jesus gets the ball in the air and heads it in goal from across? Whilst Van Dyke is there, whilst Konata is there. Robertson is even taller than Jesus. Uh, maybe, maybe there it's like five one and five three, but still, I, 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 I don't know what I was looking at. <laughs> okay, okay, but is, am I lying though? Samson, maybe okay, you can agree. Okay, maybe I don't know how tall Jesus is. Jesus, I'm sorry, maybe a five four, and I actually didn't know it. But anyways, Samson, am I lying, Samson? Oh yeah, obviously. Like Jesus is not <laughs> five one or five four. Um, every look it up. I think he's about five eight. Um, but it's not five nine even. 
uh, it's not even the end of the world to be beaten in there by a guy like Jesus, someone who's shorter than you. It's it's just, I, I guess it's the way you're beaten, you know, right? Like he didn't, I don't, even, I don't think he jumped. I don't think any of them jumped. I mean, I, I know one of them was too, I think Konate was too far um, to do anything, but Van Dijk didn't jump. He just, he was just backtracking, like, a, you know, just walking back and he looks around, sees Jesus had it. I don't think he even knew where Jesus was. So, yeah, just bad marking, really. That's that's the problem. Because at least if he's next to him, he can put an arm or something. If a big man like that puts his arm on your chest, you're not you're not jumping up anywhere, right? That's the least you could do as a defender. You didn't do any of that. Just let him jump, had it, acted like he didn't do anything. Blamed Trent or something, like he always does. So, yeah, horrible for him. Horrible stuff. I, I mean, trend is always blameable, but just so the last question on this thing: What does this mean for the title race? We have to talk about this. I know Samson are like, ah, you know. I mean, I, I don't know how you guys feel about, but I'm just saying, like, yo, Man City have a game in hand. They win that game in hand. They are three points. They win against Arsenal game week 33, at, I believe, and that's one. That's like. And that's that's coming up fairly fairly soon actually because Arsenal play Man City on 25th of April. That's in two weeks. The title could be decided on that game. If Man City beat Arsenal, it's all up to goal difference at that point. And in terms of the runner games, Manchester City have a way easier run as compared to Arsenal. Arsenal still has to play like City. They still have to play Chelsea. They have to play Newcastle. They have to play Brighton. And then they play Forest and Wolves. Those are the last two. Where City, my gosh, it's like, except they might as well be giving Pep the, the, the thing now because they play Leicester the next game. That has to be an easy win. They don't even have a coach. I heard they've been trying to sign Jesse Marsh. Like, they might as well give the W to Man City if that's, if that's, if that's the case. And then, of course, then they play Arsenal after the Leicester game. But then they play Fulham and Wolves. Fulham should be a little bit difficult, but I mean, Fulham and West Ham. Fulham might be a bit more difficult, but I don't think it's going to be that deep. West Ham, that's an easy W. Leeds is going to be an easy W. Everton, it should be an easy W. Then Chelsea and Brentford are the last two games. That's maybe where it can get a little tough. But, I mean, it is Chelsea's Lampard after all, so that's probably an easy W. Brentford, that might be a bit tougher. But anyway, point being... Mangoro, let me actually bring this to your attention first, and I'll, and I'll head over to that boy, Samson. What do you, what implications does this game have for the title race? Or do you think that Arsenal still has a tight, a tighter grip on the title than Man City does? I would say today's game is actually quite was quite important. That one point that uh, they got today, or the two points they dropped per se, the one point Liverpool got, I think is going to be very crucial in this run-in. And I think people should crop this and remember this. That one point today is actually going to be uh, the biggest thing of the rest of the season because this league will be decided on goal difference between Arsenal and Man City, honestly, because there's not much, honestly. When you look at it, and the goal difference, what, what now? I think 40 plus 43 to 48. It's five goals so it's about when you get like a Leicester or you get a a very nice team you give it a good hiding uh you have your goal difference 
So I think that's like that, that's just my viewpoint on like how this is going to look because honestly, when you look at like the teams that they have left and the games and how tight everything is, because it's a six point gap with a game in hand, it, it it really does bring it closer and closer. And the fact that they play each other would have been a bit different if they didn't play each other. And the fact that Man City have the game at home makes it even like puts it in their favor. And we've known Man City in the past when they've had to come through to a big game and win it from back in like 2015 when company was scoring all those headers against Man City, Aguero kept on scoring against Liverpool all those times. Like they've actually shown up. And when they play Arsenal, it's going to be a humding of a game and it's going to be special. So I think I think we'll we'll see in the next coming weeks. But for me personally, I think this is going to go down to match week 38. This could be another Lewis versus Max showdown again. Uh, when it takes all, uh, based on goals this time, but not points per se. And Samson, just a fair, fair, because I know you've talked about mentality at Arsenal. Do your boys, do you think your boys have a strong enough mentality that if they were to go to City and lose, do you think that they have the strong mentality to say, yo, we still have, because after the Man City game, they'll have five more games to play. Do you think in those five games they'll say we lost to City, but we're gonna make sure we win the next five games because we're not giving up? Or do you think they lose that game to City and say, you know what, it's done, it's okay? Because it's a young, it's a young team. I'm just curious if you think that they have the mentality right now to say we lose against City, but we keep pushing. I think those guys have the mentality to say we're going to Man City and we're going to win. I think that's that's how they that's how they think. They think we're gonna go into any game and we're gonna win. We're gonna beat these guys because, like, you don't att- like. For example, like today, um, a lot of pundits have said, "Hey, you know, you go to Liverpool, you get a draw. That's a good point." Before the game, I'm sure all those Arsenal players are like, "We're going to spank these guys because you don't attack the way you like." You guys saw the first minute. Martinelli just ran straight in, straight into Arnold's chest, pushed him down that line into the box, put it across. You don't do that if you think you're going to draw the game or lose the game. You do that if you think you're going to beat someone. And I think that's the mentality they're going to have the whole season. They're going to go to Man City and they're going to win. Um, whether it happens or not, you know, we, we'll have to see. There's, there's 90 minutes to play there, so we'll see. Um, what I will say, though, is that in terms of, like, Man City's running. Yes, they have an easier running, but they also have multiple competitions they they are they are um, competing in. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how um, they play because I'm not sure. I think they play us or they play Bayern, then they play another team, then they play us midweek. It'll be very interesting to see how um, they react. In that in that space um also the one game that they have in hand is against brighton um that's going to be a midweek game too so yeah they, they they're going to have a very cramped schedule um and pep is going to be asking most of his star players to be playing every game so for them it's not even it's never it's 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 not only about having the mentality of, oh, we're going to go into each game and win. It's about having 
uh, the physical endurance to actually just survive each game and get to the next one, get to the next one. Because, you know, that's a, there are also some injury-prone players in that team. Ngundogan isn't, you know, Iron Man, neither is De Bruyne. Um, I'm not wishing them any 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 harm, but, like, do you play three games a week, five weeks in a row, it, you know, something has to give at some point. So either heavy rotation, and that leads to some sloppiness, or they prioritize a certain competition over another if they really want to chase down Arsenal in the league. But, yeah, I think that run-in shouldn't be looked at as just a done deal because, again, they have to play us. Um, and we have, I mean, we have to play them, but they're just, I'm sure they're just as concerned about playing us and they have all these other games to play another competition. So it's going to be very, very tough for both teams. Yeah. Okay. No, let's, let's see how that goes. Um, but okay. Yeah, cool. So let's just move on to the next, uh, other big game that we saw this weekend. That was Tottenham versus Brighton because, this conversation, plus what happened in the Liverpool game today, we, we, we haven't forgotten about, you know, the elbow into Robertson's face by an official. And we also haven't seen, like, there were a lot of other officiating decisions today in the Liverpool-Arsenal game that were very, very questionable. Some would say Salah even deserved another penalty or two in that game. Some would say there was a foul here. Uh, yeah, I was hearing some things. I was in the Liverpool space earlier, and I was hearing some people saying Salah deserved a penalty in that last two minutes because, like, um, who was holding him? Someone was holding him. Was it Gabriel? Gabriel like was holding him in the box, and then Salah. Should, if Salah went down the first time, that brother had his arms around him. It could have been a pen because some brothers were saying if that was Harry Kane, and Harry Kane was like, "Yo, that uh, was a penalty." So <laughs> they say it's not. It was not. It was not given because it's more Salah. If it was someone else, that could have been given. But anyways, it's all subjective. The point being that there have been a lot of officiating decisions that we've seen. But let's actually take it to the Brighton and Tottenham games first before we have the wider chat about what we've seen this season and what we've seen in the last few weeks and what it means for the game. So, listener, if in case you don't watch the Tottenham versus Brighton game, Tottenham won the game 2-1. But that game was rife, rife with so many... I'm a Spurs fan. Even I was looking at that, I was like, ooh, that smells like Levy money. I was like, ooh, like, hey, uh, what's what that brother drives out of the parking lot? Like, what did he come in? Because that brother caught a bag somewhere. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> I know there's a lot of big six bias, but this seemed, a, this seemed even bigger than big six bias. This seemed very intentional because I take the win for sure. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get us to play in Europe, but hey, man, I, 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 it felt dirty winning like that. Like, it just it just felt a little wrong because Mitoma, first of all, his goal, questionable. His, now, technically, that was not supposed to be a handball. Like, that was a very beautiful takedown, shoot into the box. Like, that, that, that goal by Mitoma was beautiful. Like, even I was like, oh, man, we got, we got destroyed there. But handball I was like, okay. I can see it was 50-50, in my opinion. And then, of course, like that thing where like Hoiberg steps on his foot in the box, in the kitchen. And they just, the ref just looked at him and walked away. I was pretty shook. Even I was like, ah, shit, man. Hoiberg, why? Why is stepping on him in the box? And I was like, oh, it's not a pen. Okay. Interesting. 
I was shook though. <laughs> so Brighton deserved a pen there. Uh, what else happened? I think there's been a point where Harry Kane and someone else are going for the ball, and Harry Kane's foot is on top of that other guy's, but they gave the foul to Harry Kane. And because Harry Kane went on the floor holding his uh, knee, even though it was his foot that he should have been holding. And apparently the ref was like, bruh, like, can you do better? You know, it didn't, didn't, didn't do anything. Uh, what else happened in that game? I think people catch reds in that Brighton game. Also caught reds as well. Like the, the, the two coaches caught red cards because I, I can, I, and understandably so, the Brighton manager was not happy about what was going on on that, on that field. He must have been disgusted because officiating has actually lost Brighton six points this season. If they had those six points, they'll be in top four. Or at least like top, like, you know, they'll be way up in the title right now. Like, let me even make sure like I'm not speaking some some nonsense here. But I would think that if Brighton had an extra six points, they would have um let me see right now Brighton has 46. If they had the extras two, they'll be on 52. So yeah, you know what? Like that that means they'll be at least Actually, they'll be either fifth or fourth. I don't know. Anyway, point being, we saw some decisions today that were just a little nuts. But I want to hear your boys' opinions about what you saw in that Tottenham versus Brighton game. And maybe we can even start having that wider conversation. So let me start with you, Mongoro, because I know that uh, as a man of the uh, foot of, of the goalkeepers' union, I'm sure you all have these discussions once in a while. <laughs> um, also, there was another incident where, was it McAllister shot the goal? No, someone shot and it hit McAllister on a tucked arm and they disallowed the goal. So Brighton had a disallowed goal due to a handball, disallowed goal due to another handball, apparently, and a penalty that was not given. And I think there was something else that I might be missing. But those are three big calls that did not happen for Brighton today. Mangoro, what did you take off the game? Um, you know, it was quite, quite a disaster, honestly, from a refereeing perspective. And I think these referees are actually now just, they're taking a piss, honestly, because this, this is just not right. Like, we love the beautiful game. We love correct decisions. You know, we're at a point where back in the day, just to give uh, the listeners some, some backstory here, back in the day, we used to watch the EPL. There was no VR. There was no, there was some once in a while ref controversy. And we were like, oh, this ref farmed. And we didn't even know the ref. We'd just be like, There's a, this ref farmed. Well, this guy, well, he looked like this one. And he farmed back in the day. And there was never a big deal. But now we're at a point where, we actually know the referees' names. Stuart Adwell, we know them. That, that, that goes to show how much they're farming. Like, we're at a point where we actually know referee. We actually do research on who's this referee that's been farming, the likes of Anthony Taylor uh, and the likes. So that goes to show that there's just something wrong with, like, I don't know if it's the PGMOL or is it Howard Webb? Are they, is they not giving them strict training uh, there during like uh, the preseason because they do go on like a, a referees, uh, a referees like a training camp? Yeah, we do discuss that at the goalkeepers union. Um, so I think those are like fundamental things that I think they need to be taught. And also, like, I think VAR has really ruined refereeing, honestly, because I think now they're relying too much on VAR because they know if they make a wrong call, VAR will check it 
and they'll correct their their own call. Like I think they were just at that point now because they just don't care. And like the fact that now we actually do know uh, referees' names is actually quite depressing, honestly. Because in in a perfect world, when you're doing a good job as a referee, people shouldn't know you. They should be talking about the game and ra rather than the referee or VAR. Because this brother Stuart Adwell and those red cards, I still wonder what footage he saw or what exactly happened. Because there, from what I saw, after he consulted with the fourth division, he sent off the two coaches. He used hearsay to actually send off the two the two coaches because he didn't see any incident. And for me, that was very, very strange, John. If that was actually the wrong decision, who then takes the blame? Does he take the blame because he's the one that gave the, the red cards or does the first official take the blame? So it goes to show, and in history, I have never seen this, but like a VR official, Lee Mason, was fired for not drawing the lines in the Arsenal, uh, was it Brentford? Yeah, Brentford game. Like, that goes to show that there's just something fundamentally wrong uh, within like the referees, and I think VAR has pretty much ruined it. And listening to Mark Lattenberg, who actually spoke about it, and said, yeah, VAR has really truly, like, truly like ruined the game and i do agree with them because you see some of the decisions that McAllister one with the hand oh my goodness that's probably probably the worst one of the weekend for me personally the mitomo one it's up in the air but the McAllister one was a daylight robbery like brighton have been robbed like i think even against palace uh when it's stepping a stupid young squad and said it was offside or something like six points in a season like this is actually quite critical because now brighton could be much higher and what if they miss out uh, on something lucrative like European football when, when all is said and done at the end of the season and those six points could have come in handy? What could, the, the referees are not going to do anything about it. And the other thing that I think we may need to have a, conversa a wider conversation about is just these referees thinking that the be and end on the field. I think this is an absolute joke, honestly. Like this, this is just not right because they think that there's some sort of authority are they on the soccer field, honestly? I know I've mentioned this in the past. I think we should continue to mention it week in and week out because they just keep on doing these things. Like they think they're, they're the law on the field. They're just there to officiate and ensure that the correct decisions are given at the correct time and ensure that the flow of the game continues. Because now what we're seeing game after game, what are we talking about? We're talking about referees and not the game. What does that tell us? What does that actually say? about the, the standard. We, we, we've portrayed the English Premier League as like the, the super league of football. Javier Teba surely has, but it just goes to show that a lot of eyes are actually watching this league week in and week out. Like you mentioned, you're very interested uh, in games such as you'd rather watch uh, Leeds versus Palace because it's the Premier League rather than watching the Classico. That goes to show that there's actually like some important things that are actually happening in the Premier League. Maybe it's the marketing, maybe it's just the love we have for it, how it's televised, ease of access and stuff like that. That has actually put it where that where it's at. But after the game, in a perfect world, we should never talk about referee. We should talk about how the game was, tactics, stuff like that, where the coaches lost it. We shouldn't be oh I VAR, oh ref this. So it's it's really, it's really quite bad, honestly. Like, and I think Samson, maybe for you, like when you think about it, like those two points against Brentford that job dropped, really probably maybe affect you quite a bit, and Arteta as well, and the boy. And, and on top of that, I also want to hear what you think about these 
apologies that the PGMOL sends out after they'll be like, oh yeah, the referee did didn't do it. That that was the wrong call. And that's that. And and like I think how many have they sent out this season? Like four apologies already? <laughs> like, how are you telling me y'all are apologizing publicly for four back holes this season? And there's no accountability. There's no like, okay, yeah, that was a really, really bad one. Brighton deserved three points that game, or they deserved a point, or they deserve this. Like, how is there no like action after that apology? Because you t- like six points is a lot. And like you just said, Arsenal, those two points that they dropped at, Bre- at Brentford. Right now, those are the two points that they could be looking at at the end of the season when Man City lift up the title. They're like, hey, yo, when we look at the season holistically, we could have actually won this thing. But due to poor officiating, you know, they're not about to print out that apology and put it in the trophy cabinet, right? Like, that's not what they're about to do. That doesn't matter to them. The points matter, not the apology, you know? So, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to bring, bring that out there as well because I want to hear what you think about these apologies and even course when you come back to you like or if you have any thoughts but yeah samson what do you what do you in the grand scheme of things what do you take of these oh we messed up sorry vibes that we get from pgmol imagine you're a doctor you go you're going for surgery you need life-saving surgery your doctor um is supposed to like stitch you up or something it leaves a scalpel inside, stitches you up. Hey, I'm sorry. I stitched up with a scalpel inside your body. You have to come back for a second operation or else you will die. You're not going to be happy. Like, it's not... These apologies don't mean anything. Like, these apologies make them seem like they're empathetic, make them seem like they're, oh, you know, we're all human. We make mistakes. Come on, you know, just just give us time. We're going to perfect the system. We're still, still working. Bro, this is your job. You don't play. You do not like VAR. Like VAR is the most, the fact that VAR has cost people points is the most unacceptable part of this because they do not play. They are not on the pitch. They're not even at the stadium. They are far, far away in some building watching monitors and and all they have to do is watch replays. They have the game on a TV, and with, when they when they get a call like, "Hey, review this incident," they rewind, they go to different angles, and they give a decision. That's all they do, and you can't do that. That's 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 just disgusting. Like you, the fact that these people are employed and make decisions that change games and cost teams points is ridiculous because like you said those two points could be the two points that stop us from winning the league and i'm not just those are not the only two points by the way we when we played manchester united at old trafford we scored the first goal we were one nil up and they disallowed it because of a foul in the build-up it took them three months to apologize for that mistake actually two months because they apologized when the world cup started that was nearly two months later how are we supposed to take that like like okay now they're very fast with the apologies because they know their attention is on them back then they didn't care they haven't apologized to chelsea 
for Spurs versus Chelsea because they cost Chelsea three points that day too. Um, they disallowed a goal. Actually, no, they uh, did not disallow Tottenham's goal, even though Havertz was held in the build-up. Kukurea was pulled in the box by his hair. Most blatant penalty you'll ever see was not called. And then at the end of the game, both coaches are sent off. Like that, because that impacts you the next game. Your coach is not there on the touchline. That impacts you. Bright, I mean, um, uh, Spurs now. Yeah, Spurs and Brighton, next coming games, they're going to be impacted by not having their coaches. Spurs, actually, I feel, should not have gone the coach sent off. If anything, uh, maybe just the Brighton coach deserved to be sent off if they did a holistic review of the footage and whatever, because he was the only one really involved in that little scuffle. And even then, his involvement was minimal because it was the the assistant coaches from Spurs and Brighton who are getting into it. The head coaches didn't really have anything to do with it. Stellini was avoiding it the whole time. Like from minute one, when both coaches walked into the stadium, De Zerbi was in his face before the game started. I'm not sure if the, if the listeners caught this, but before the game started, De Zerbi walked over to Stellini, pointed at his face and was screaming at him. And from that moment on, Anytime Deserbi said anything, Stellini would walk away. He would turn around and walk away. And he gets sent off at the end of the day. I I have no idea how that happens. And you know, you guys have spoken about the elbow today with Robertson. Again, I feel like these guys are only doing are only uh issuing apologies and like the uh, Lee Mason was, was fired the other day because he didn't draw the lines. These are only happening because they're very public, right? These are very public mistakes that they have to own up to. If they weren't public and if they weren't being talked about in the post-match um, shows, they wouldn't be doing anything. They will just be moving on like nothing happened. And I think it's time the clubs called a governor's meeting and did something because as teams that are playing in this league, you are at the mercy of people who don't play. You are at the mercy who, of people who, at the end of the day, and, and I know they're supposed to say, hey, I'm, I'm a this supporter, so I won't ref these games and whatever. But if I don't feel like you're, you're calling games fairly and I know you support a particular team, how am I supposed to trust you at all? Like, you, you are making mistakes that I would be hard-pressed to believe is just human error because, like, the Spurs game, you disallow two goals and you don't give a pen? Like, how am I supposed to think you, you're, you're, you're not in Daniel Levy's pocket? Like, how am I supposed to think that as a Brighton fan? I see those three decisions. How can I think you have not been paid off? You know, like, so I feel like the, the clubs need to, have, need to call a governor's meeting and need to have a serious discussion about the way things are roughed because you cannot keep playing in a competition that you feel is gamed for you to lose, that you feel like despite your best efforts, you're not going to win. Like no one wants to play it in a competition like that. And it's not good for um, the league in general because the integrity of the league is being put on the line because you can't be the best league in the world if teams are winning fraudulently every week. That's not the best league in the world. That is a farmer's league in, 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 true, in, 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 the, in the by definition because... Maybe the players aren't farming, 
but the officials are forming and they are continuing to form despite having the best cutting edge technology. And by the way, Mangor mentioned the referee training camp thing. Do you guys know they usually have it at uh, England's national team uh, training center? And when they're there, they usually debut all the latest technologies. That's when VAR, that's the first place VAR was introduced in England at that, at that facility. And they talk about all the rules there. They do all these fancy presentations. Fine. They tell people we invested millions. Fine. So you invested millions and you produce crap. Like, bro, you, we, we cannot have this. Don't tell us about the millions you've invested and all the and show us all these fancy new tricks that and this Hawkeye camera thing that you've that you've implemented at every stadium only to not use them appropriately. We don't want to hear it. Like it's it's tiring, honestly. I, I, I hate every time I have to discuss the referees. It's 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 honestly the worst thing to happen to this game. You know. <clears throat> these referees honestly uh the more i think about it and the other thing is that the the the, the, the body the body the referee body like bgmol dfa uh i think i don't know if ifab is also involved in this but for them also when a coach of an individual team say for example when Tuko was sent off he he mentioned the he mentioned the atrocious refereeing by anthony taylor during the game this first game and after that as much as he got that suspension they find him as well so they're very quick to come out and get people fined and do all of this other stuff but they never a point in time where they actually hold their own people internally accountable for some of these things it's probably like oh you got it wrong you're fine you'll get it you get the next one it's not like there's a suspension on like referees on like because like they suspend coaches one of them could do something along the lines of suspending these referees because they're actually quite atrocious so they go ref in league two because they deserve it anthony taylor stuart adwell they deserve to go ref in league two honestly because the other thing that people don't keep in mind that, that don't take into consideration is the fact that also these referees haven't even played the game any of them so when they're making some of these calls you're like you've never played the game so how would you know so they can't even kick a ball for for that matter so that just goes to show how bad it is. And honestly, I wanted to mention something here that I think they need to start doing immediately. I think they need to expedite this. I heard that FIFA were trying to introduce a post-match referee interviews uh, piloted at some tournament. I don't know, maybe the Women's World Cup coming up this summer or something, or one of these tournaments that they have. I think the Premier League needs to fast track that, bring it in next season. Because honestly, and the, the referees shouldn't be at a point where they actually like when they ask the question on like why did you make this decision and they come and they're not allowed to say no comment they should be held accountable in front of the entire world watching and actually these things are actually mentioned on oh here I, it seemed like i made a mistake and they actually come out and say it and then people are held accountable because that's the only way we can hold these people accountable because now they've been hiding under the hiding behind the fact that they, they can't speak to the media now we need to put them in front of the media so that we actually see what they're thinking and they actually get asked on like one, two, three happened. Can you speak to these things? And they actually speak to them. So that I think I think that that's when like once you start holding referees accountable, they all know that the standard needs to go up. They need to be very rigorous when like making decisions and they're actually thorough with most of the stuff. And that'll actually go a long way in improving the quality of referring because, because at this point that like, we spend what? An hour and a half or however long 
or the entire season you spend hours talking about referees but not talking about the games or the teams or which is performing well which is uh struggling like this could be an entire netflix series honestly because this is actually not good enough honestly these referees they need to get better honestly these these brothers are campaigning for all or nothing refereeing in the premier league that's that's what they're waiting for <laughs> That's why I'm like, you know what, everyone is catching issues these days. What about us, the refs, you know? Because, I mean, there was, that, there was that graphic that came out on social media where, like, they were telling us how much each referee gets paid per game. And most of them, the highest is not even 5,000 pounds or whatever. And I'm just thinking, like, damn it, man. You know, you're refereeing maybe one game a weekend. Like, you mean, I mean, like, to be honest, in the UK, that's, that's a decent amount of money to make in a week. Like, in a month, you're walking away with, like, what, like, <laughs> twenty thousand pounds like in in a month you know what like you're, you're in the one percent there in the uk so generally you know i'm just it's, it's it's maybe that's what it is maybe they're just trying to bring more light to themselves and they get start to get paid more like we all know like maybe anthony taylor is so controversial and everybody watches these games to see that like yo what's he gonna do today is he gonna mess them up like i'm pretty like oh is he gonna do the right thing and then it's like you know I don't know. And then it goes into that. That's what like they use for the all or nothing referees, you know, something. I don't, so I don't know. I don't know if maybe that's what's happening here. But I was going to say, though, that um, in this season, this season is very, very important because we've, we've, we've talked about this in previous episodes, just about like how tight things are, especially in the bottom half of the table. So like right now, Southampton is dead last at 23, right? And they're separated from the rest. Like everyone else is like, the two teams are 27 right now, Everton and Nottingham Forest. Like in between, like Crystal Palace won today, but Crystal Palace is 10 points ahead of Southampton, right? And they're like still eight games left to play. And it only takes you about two wins. If actually, it even takes just one win to get out of relegation. Okay, right now it's getting a little tighter. Like right now I think Southampton, if they were able to climb out of this, they need to win at least, you know, another three games or two games to, to be out and be safe, but not even that safe because you never know. Anyway, the point I'm just trying to make is that if any one of these teams is affected by a bad call by the refs, that could be their season. If Southampton catch a bad call because of a referee, because I think, I don't know if Southampton has received any bad calls this season, but if they did and it cost them points, that is very detrimental to their season, right? So it's not like we're just talking about, oh, refs, you know, talking about them in the big six. It has a lot of implications for the table itself because it could actually mean a team gets relegated or a team survives relegation that they're not supposed to survive, which means someone else is paying that price, right? And, and then we look at the top of the table where, like, Man City and Arsenal are only six points and then top four race is very tight right now as well. So... Everything counts, and we need the highest quality because if this goes down to just human error and there's no accountability and there's no, like, you know, I don't, then then things just, yeah, there's just so much money in the Premier League right now that it's, we, we can't be losing money over this. Like, you know what I mean? So I just think that they need to get this on. They need to get on this because it's very, very serious. And listen, in case you're not watching the Liverpool game, that incident with Robertson and that ref, Robertson, I think, might have been talking or complaining to the ref about something. And that official, I can't, I don't know what conversation they were having, but then the linesman like lifted his elbow, like, yo. 
And then I don't know if he was whether just trying to like shake him off or he was actually intentionally going for him. But point is that he made contact with the player. And we recently just saw Mitrovic catch an eight-game ban for touching the ref. What are, and then so what is this like? We just need to see what you like. It can be you know like touching the ref is yeah definitely you should not be doing that. That's a big no-no. But there's no reason why a ref should be also doing that to a player like it, you know. And it's not like. Mitrovic was red carded on the spot. That linesman kept referee, like linesing or whatever they do, they kept officiating the rest of the game. It's not immediate, right? And Robertson actually caught a yellow card after he got elbowed by the referee. Now imagine if Robertson caught another yellow card in the second half and got a red. And that would have changed the game completely, right? So now the question is, does that yellow card get rescinded? What happens now if Liverpool, if you got the red card and Arsenal won the game today because Liverpool are 10 men down? What, what is PGMOL going to do about that? Because Robertson should not have got that yellow card in actuality because he did get elbowed and then he got carded for it, which is nonsensical to me. We talked about those coaches. They got red carded. Now they're not going to be available. They're not available for the rest of the game. And they might not even be available for the following games right now. And this is a very important time. I'm pretty sure they might get rescinded. I don't think that the, those red cards are going to stick. Um, but I think they should definitely, like, complain. But, yeah, this is a wider issue, and it has a lot of ramifications. And what do you boys – I mean, let, let me go to you, Samson. Like, what do you think should actually happen to this linesman? What do you think PGMOL needs to do to that, to that linesman? Does it get fired? Does it get banned? Does it get fined? What happens to Robertson's yellow? Does it get taken out? You know, what accountability should we see from the PGMOL in light of the situation? Because these instances have been, because, you know, once someone feels like they can do what they want and not face consequences, they can, it only gets worse and worse and worse. Like, they will not they will not feel accountable for anything. They'll do whatever and feel like I'm good. I don't need to go into the whole policing thing in America because that's where we're at. But like there's no need for me to go in that tangent. I'm gonna I'm trying to control myself because I was even about to talk about politicians in Africa. And so I'm like, yo, take it easy. Don't let, let, let me not go there. But what I'm just trying to say is like if there's a power that goes unchecked, it you it often it usually leads to more corruption. It usually leads to more disaster and chaos because without accountability, it means someone can just feel like they can do whatever. And we saw that today where like a linesman felt comfortable enough to strike a player. Right. So anyway, um, Samson, go ahead. Yeah. Um, before I get into that, I'll just point out that uh, there is a team currently in the relegation zone that has been negatively impacted by a mistake by a referee. Uh, that is Nottingham Forest when they played Brentford, um, I think before the World Cup. Wissa um, was deemed to have been fouled in the box. He got a pen. They scored. Uh, when in actual fact he initiated the contact, he did a Vardy where he kicks, where you know he kicks the ball forward, kicks his leg, runs into the keeper, falls down, rolls over, got a pen. Anyways, they're in the relegation zone. They have 27 points. If they had won that game, they would have 29 points. Uh, but instead they drew, um, and they wouldn't, you know, ever to be in the relegation zone. Um, also, I just want to point out, 
for the listeners who think we're not taking this, we're taking this too seriously, you know, Brighton, you know, I, I wouldn't, there wouldn't be a, a massive change in the table for them or Spurs. Spurs have won, we've said Spurs have benefited twice the Brighton game early in the season against Chelsea. That's six points. Uh, Spurs would be sixth with 47 points level on goal difference with Aston Villa. I mean, level on points of Aston Villa. Brighton would be fifth on 52 with the game in hand on Manchester United and Newcastle. Arguably in a really good position to clinch Champions League football. But yeah, big money is on the line here is the point. And for Spurs, it could literally mean bankruptcy because as we know, um, you guys are in debt. You guys are paying for a stadium this you know this is this is serious you know this this could be um this could mean five years of 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 terrible teams because you have to sell everyone or it could mean you miraculously pay for everything because you were in a european spot so big big calls here um to get into the refereeing thing um what should happen to this landsman whenever you're discussed uh post-match specifically individually like Lee Mason was a few weeks ago, a few months ago, it typically means you're getting fired. Like, to, for people to discuss you as an individual, not, not, not the calls you made, you as a person and the way you acted on the pitch, the way you were interacting with the players, not, he, there were no calls he made that were you know, outrageous. It's just him and Robertson that's a firing like that shouldn't have that shouldn't be happening there's no world in which a disagreement with a player should be that ugly you know because we all know and we've seen it if it's the other way around i'm pretty sure if it's the other way around robertson doesn't play the rest of the season probably gets like a four-month ban or something five-month ban like something ridiculous and, you know, this is the thing about power, you know, power begets power. So, you know, if you have power, probably just going to keep getting more power. And absolute power, it corrupts. These guys have absolute power. Because, again, no one to check them. No governor's meetings. No massive complaints from club owners. No sponsors saying, hey, man, you are damaging this league. We're going to pull up if you, if, if you keep doing this, if you keep messing up games. Someone has to step up and say something. And until someone does, this is what you get. But yeah, I definitely think that brother's gone. He should be, he should, he should, he should pack up his desk. I don't, even, I don't know if they have desks. Um, he should pack up his flags. <laughs> also, he should, he should turn in his whistle. <laughs> Go wash his shorts and return them. And his shirts. Because <laughs> yeah, he's done. There's no way. I... I'd be very shook if the if the prem sticks by this guy, if the PGML sticks by this guy. Like all the clubs should protest their, a game if they if they stick with him. Like he should not ref in this league for the year. He should be done. I think I think we've usually, we've discussed as well like the the numbers available when it comes to officiating. Because I don't know if they're like referee academies out there. Where like they're trying to cook new referee talent. I don't know if they come if they have to go through the process of like they have the lower leagues and then they graduate into the into the um, Premier League. Or I don't know if they're like 
if there's like a protege that they're just throwing the Premier League and say this guy's good. Like I don't, I'm not too. I mean, maybe you guys can talk about this, but I'm not too sure about the process in which a referee ends up being a Premier League referee and like the games that they officiate. So if a player, if a, if a referee like Anthony Taylor does something crazy and is supposed to be banned for eight months or is not supposed to referee anymore or because I also feel a little weird about them going down to League One or to, to League Two or League Three, right? Because at the end of the day, like, if there's if that's a bad ref, that's a bad ref. No other team should be subject to bad refereeing. Like, no other team, even if they're down there, because it still has ramifications, right? Like, if you're trying to get promoted into the Prem and that your game is messed up by a referee who makes a bad call and you don't, you know, you don't um, graduate, that's money you're missing out on. Like you're not you're not gonna get Premier League money because the referee farmed you in the game that you're supposed to win and you didn't win it. So I feel like it has ramifications everywhere. So I feel like if you're bad, either they need to like retrain you or they stop. But then I'm now wondering, like on the other side of that, like is it a numbers issue? Do they not have enough referees to cover? Like, is that why the PGMO well like? protects these guys because it's like this is all we have it's a finite resource we don't know where else to get these refs or the academy is too small or i don't know maybe mongoro you can educate me on this or educate the masses but i'm now curious as to like is that why we might not be seeing a lot more like movement or is there like a re i don't know if there's like a camp where these guys get trained and like they're bringing new refs for the premier league specifically I'm not sure, but yeah, I just want to hear if like maybe that's also playing into it. So, so from what I understand, and the listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, um, there is a pool of referees that go into that particular camp. And the other thing that people should keep in mind, these are not the Premier League referees. These all belong to the FA. These are FA referees. And it's a pool of referees from all the way from the champion from the League Two all the way to the Premier League. And then you get assigned duties based on, I think that maybe, I think that the, like a rank level that you work towards, like you start somewhere, they don't just start in the, just throw in the deep end of the Premier League. You start somewhere, maybe if it's League One, you go up the ranks and stuff like that to a point where you get to the Premier League. Because if you look at like some of the refs that have shown up in the last couple of years, the Premier League that we haven't heard of, like your Craig Porsons, your Stuart Adwells, your Watts, uh, they've, they've pretty much, from what I know, like maybe just came up from uh, Bobby Madley, like came up from like other divisions and they got given an opportunity in the Premier League and they started referring the Premier League. And then when they built that rapport, they, over time they were then given they became a stable Premier League ref because at the end of the day, these are the same refs that some of them, like the top tier, the ones that are like what they would call the cream of the crop are the ones that UEFA actually uses in Champions League, Europa League, Conference Leagues. So there's, there is that. And I don't know if there's a, maybe it's there, they have a very rigorous uh, uh, requirements uh, for the job that people are just not able to get in. Uh, that's why people are not, not seeing a, a huge talent pool of referees come through because at the end of the day, it's just about like knowing the game, understanding the rules and going to the field and having that emotional intelligence uh, to handle the game because you can get feisty because imagine you being there, you being thrown there as like a first-time referee and it's a title decider. 
you need to control the game you need to control the emotions you need to control the crowd because the crowd also plays a huge role don't 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 be don't don't be flustered by the pressure and then make incorrect decisions so those are the kinds of things like it's may it's it's different faceted and i think like maybe it's just uh a lot of there's a lot of bias involved in like who actually gets to be the select uh group of referees in the Premier League and the leagues below, there's not much attention paid to it because there's not a lot of money. But at the end of the day, this is all about money. And where the most money is, is where they focus their most attention on. And in this case, it's the Premier League. So I think for them, for them, they honestly need to take a look at the entire process in the offseason and actually look at what actually is happening. And when we promote, is it, are they, are we promote? Because the other thing is that I think we're at a point where they're promoting referees just for the sake of promoting to fill gaps because we've seen in the last two, three years, a lot of referees retire. Your Lee Mason did retire. Mike Dean, uh, I think, yeah, Matt Martin Atkinson, the the older generation uh, that we, Andre Mariner as well, the older generation that we knew, those are the ones that retired. And then now, they were like, oh, we have this gap here. We need to fill it with these group of individuals. The other thing is that we need to know is that when you push these guys from wherever they're coming from, be it the championship or just the other, the factory, the academy, are they good enough uh, to actually be in the Premier League or is it about filling in the gaps? Because we need to have some other rigorous, uh, I'd say, like schedule there where they need to pass that assessment to be good enough to be in the Premier League because the Premier League as I mentioned, it's probably the most watched league in the world, and you can't just be bringing some fodder there and just throwing it in the Premier League. Yeah, I know. Facts. Honestly, like, yeah, they need to definitely do something about it because, hey, you know, like, it's, <laughs> as you just said, this is the biggest league in the world, and there's a lot of money here. Like, and once you start messing with people's money, that's when things get serious, and we can't, we can't be having that because, like, you, like we've said, it ruins the game. Like, I don't want to be sitting here talking about referees after the game. And I don't want my team, like as a Spurs supporter, it felt weird today. Obviously, I want us to win. Obviously, I want us to win the Champions League. But that win didn't feel good. Like when Harry Kane made that shot and the ball went in, I was like, okay, thanks, Harry. But I was like, damn, though. Like, this is just unfair, man. Like, we've just farmed Brighton for the last. And then Harry Kane scores the goal. He celebrates like it just. And I'm just like, yo, this is so wrong on so many levels. Because I just, yeah, I, I don't think I want to win like that. And that's just me being honest. Like, I want to win, but I don't think I want to win like that. And I would hope that any fan who supports their team should also feel strongly about that too. Like, do you really want your team to win on the back of referee bias or on the back of VAR? I highly doubt that. Like, because once we start getting into that territory, then we're losing, we're we're losing, like, we're losing our, what are we still doing here? Like, what are we, we're losing the whole sport at that point. Like now people can just buy refs and that's that. And like titles are decided on that. And, you know, we saw Barcelona doing, I mean, we saw Barcelona, how many, like the fact that they have that referee scandal, Barcelona won a lot of titles. And now people are starting to question like, oh shit, like, do they deserve those? And now as a fan, like how are you going to sit there or as a player and be like stripped of your medal or stripped of your title? Like, oh yeah, Messi, 2009, the referee did this and this and that. We're taking this away from you. Like, yo, that would be crazy. No one wants that. No player wants that. No fan wants that. 
or if it's like a Ballon d'Or, like if what Messi won the Ballon d'Or one year and does due to like refs being paid, imagine like what that'll do. <laughs> that'll be madness. And then like, and we all know how important that thing is, right? And like now Ronaldo feels like, oh, like so Messi only has his Ballon d'Ors because the refs were cheating. And now all the Messi fans or all the Ronaldo fans are going to be fighting about it. You know, like it just creates a lot of craziness that I just don't think the football world needs. So PGMOL, you got to make this right because y'all got to fix yourselves before this thing just crumbles before our eyes. And we just start going back to watching our children play garden soccer because that's the only part. That's the only time that we can see like, okay, this is proper soccer now. Oh, you know, but anyway. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think we've covered a lot of that. I think enough of that. I think, uh, we can certainly let this go. I think, um, what a good weekend, but listen up. Thank you so much for rocking with us. I think we can leave it there. <laughs> um, if please do comment, if you have any like thoughts on what we just discussed, or if you have any new information we're going to bring to light, uh, if you are a, uh, someone who's passionate about refereeing, make sure, maybe put in your application in the PJMOL. It looks like they hire anybody. So if you're homeless or if you're unemployed, make your CV. Just say you, you yeah, try it, try it. They, they, they take anybody these days. Um, and if you're serious about refereeing, also, like, I think you should apply because we need some serious people. And, um, yeah. But anyway, boys, any closing thoughts? I'll start with you, Mongoro, and then to you, Sangi. You know, let's not, uh, thank you for taking the time today and actually just listening and actually hearing us talk about these referees because uh they're pretty much ruining our game like we need to nip it in the bud uh immediately because some of the stuff is just not good enough so let's not ensure that uh you 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 take a listen to the first brothers podcast previous episodes are available on all streaming platforms ensure that you listen to the first brothers podcast we drop more reality and more reality is coming uh the summer is coming up in the next coming months and we're going to be doing a very interesting uh series there and it's going to be nice uh i think maybe my boy Mozart will talk more about it here today but the other thing is that i've been doing some scouting uh the the global markets and uh, as a player, as, as one person who likes to plug an unknown player or player that people haven't heard of, uh, coming out of Germany, that people I think should keep in, keep a watch out for, and uh, in the next coming months or uh, in the next years, I think he's going to be a big player. He goes by the name of Jeremy uh, Frimpong or from Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, I think he's going to be quite a generational talent. I think people should take a take a note of that, remember the name, and enjoy the. Uh, and I'd say enjoy him. What, what, while we haven't because this boy is actually talented is going places so if you are there in germany and you watch jeremy frimpong um thank you but like i think i think he will be moving on in the next coming years and uh just just just, just take it from the first brothers podcast they they drop the reality all the time but listen enjoy the upcoming week enjoy the upcoming weeks uh enjoy weather enjoy the weather wherever you are in the world and yeah thank you for taking the time to listen and it's a it's it's the first brothers podcast. Apparently, we should feel the breeze. Yes, dear listener, you have been with the Forest Brothers podcast with the two brothers here, Mutsa Mangora. Great as always doing this part with you guys, dear listener. I'm actually, you know, I have to say sorry. You know, you you have to hear us talk about referees, but we had to. You know, we 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 have to fight for our game. You know, like. No one wants. I would hate it. I would hate it so much if the Arsenal Man City game came down to 
three botched calls by the ref and then we get three goals and we win and that's how we win the title i can tell you right now i'll never hear the end of it from this guy but I'll, I'll never hear the end of it and i i just want i want to win with dignity i want to win and i want everyone else in the league to know we beat them we, we were the best team there's something special about winning fairly um and completely uh and that respect you get from your competitors and i feel like each team deserves that um and i hope i hope we get there um and the man mongor mentioned by leverkusen and from pong you, uh, dear listener, you should tune in to the Bundesliga and watch Bayer because sometimes because Xabi Alonso, new coach, started the job this year. He's playing some amazing stuff with with uh, with Bayer Leverkusen, and I, I think we'll be hearing about them more moving forward. I know they've flirted with uh, Champions League football, you know, but there there was been a selling team where they sell the up and coming stars. Hopefully. Alonso has some pull and can keep these young stars there and we get to see more Bayer Leverkusen ball moving forward and maybe they even challenge Bayern for supremacy in that league. Uh, but yeah, exciting things there in the Bundesliga. You guys uh, should definitely tune in. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And yeah, Samson, you're right. If Arsenal ever won the league off of three bust calls and like, yeah, and if Man City had like goals to sell out because of some referee decisions, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would stop. I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> so refs, please, please don't do this to Arsenal fans. Like I know they really want to win, but they don't need to win off of referee decisions. No one does. So I think that was a very good way to put that, Samson. Because yeah, no one wants to. Would not like to see that. Like, yeah. So, anyways, listener, thank you for rocking with us. We appreciate you, and we will catch you on the next one. So peace out. <laughs>